Hello and welcome to I've Never Seen, a podcast where myself, Stephen, and my good friend Albert Hello. pick two either contrasting or similar films to have a conversation around, the criteria being they are important or seminal or landmark films that either one of us or the both of us have never seen before as a way of giving ourselves a cinematic education and hopefully stimulating a good conversation. Um, we've recorded a few of these before and they're in my hard drive for me to edit at some point. I just haven't around to it because I'm lazy. Um, but this time we were going to talk about two films which are depressingly prescient at the moment, to um, use a phrase. Um, so this was going to go up first. So the next episode you hear, if you do hear a next one, will be about Derek Jarman's Blue and Pasolini's Salo, um, and it will have a bit of the beginning about how it's the first episode. So just play along with that. Never mind. This is the minus one episode, episode zero. Um, so or you could just edit it. No, no, I could not, and I will not. <laughs> that is an option. No, I like no. I, I, why edit when I can talk about it now? Um, so, Albert, do you want to introduce both the films or one of the films? I'll, I'll do one. I'll yeah. do one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll start with the early one, I suppose. Birth of a Nation. What a film. Oh, God. All right. And we've lost every listener. Um, W.D. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. I mean, yeah. let's ask the obvious question. Why had you never seen this film before? Well, because it was incredibly long. And also, mm-hmm. I heard it's a little bit racist. A little bit. Okay. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's one of those where you do, like, on the one hand, like, there's the whole thing of landmark film that everyone's yeah. supposed to sort of have seen, and, uh, you know, at some point you just stop listening to those kind of recommendations, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, I'm going to see it at some point. Yes. Um, but also, it's the whole, it kind of, it, it felt like I didn't really need to see this film. Yes, 100%. Because, yeah, I, I didn't know what I was going to get from it, apart from, like, some social history stuff, which I suppose I could read about, but now yeah. that I have seen it, I actually think it's very important to see it. Okay, I actually I've... think it's one mm. of the most important films that you could see in the entire, like, you know, pantheon of, of American cinema because that's going to be a conversation. It really later. informs history like so much. I mean, one of its innovations was it was the first film to be screened in the White House. Yes, which have, you, have you seen Spike Lee's about, like, Black Klansman? Um, I've seen a bit. I've seen bits. Unfortunately, That's, I haven't seen the full film. It's a real, real good movie. But there's a bit in that where they have can... a screening of um, Birth of Nation, um, as and they have people chant "America first, America first. Um, yeah, it was, it was a KKK recruiting tool for ages, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It yeah. Also, it also inspired the resurgence of the KKK. So yes, the KKK was dead. Yeah, prior to this film. So, if there's ever a film which which brings home the point of Make sure you get your historical yeah. accuracy correct. Make sure you're, you know, you're sensitive to like lots of different demographic things. Uh, this is it because the, the consequences of not doing that are you could literally start a hate movement. So, yeah, totally. Because I mean, this was based on a book called The Klansman, and there are people out there who want to say this is, you know, it is historical. It is not racist. It's just the people at the time were racist, and it's it is the most it's not a historical it is so unhistorical um and in our previous episodes which will appear later we've had quite a lot of um not heated but discussion around our different viewpoints on the responsibility of film i guess in yeah. interpreting reality and i have like a very hard line of if a thing happened and it's a historical point and you're making a political point with it you should be 
as close to the bone as possible and that well, film has a moral duty the, the thing is dw griffith i mm. think went in with the whole oh you know i'm a director i have an artistic license it's just a film yeah and i think his later films show that i think he he made another film called intolerance which is hilarious <laughs> no, no, and apparently the whole premise of that film is like you shouldn't treat other people, you know, in in a different way or whatever. Doesn't so, that like, make the most sense that he would go from that to that as yeah, like a mea culpa? It, I think it definitely was, but it also is the whole thing of like I'm just an artist. I get to do whatever mm. I want, and I don't care about history uh, yeah. because you know I this I I make entertainment, etc. But I think the, the the film is the greatest example of why that attitude is. No, it should be debated. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to have a longer conversation about should you watch it or not because going into this conversation, I have the opposite viewpoint. Um, so that'll be a, a fun thing to unpick. I think this is like completely not worth anyone's time. This is one of those films where I feel like I've watched this, so you don't have to. Um, so that's a, a conversation to have. As I actually, no, I actually think people should definitely watch this. As I hundred percent should watch it. That's why we'll hold that conversation off. We'll get into that. Okay. We'll get into that okay. disagreement. Let's do our Yeah, the other film, as Albert just spoiled my reveal there, is um, the. Is it still technically accounted for inflation, the most successful film of all time? Yes. Yeah. Both of these were. So yeah, so true. First, true. First, uh, Birth of a Nation held that record until mm-hmm. came along. Gone with the wind. Yeah. Um, because you know the world likes racism um, so Gone with the Wind is a film that I had not seen because I presumed it was boring um, had you seen this before or not I can't remember no no no, no I oh really it. I thought you had um, why... I, I sort of knew things about it yeah I hadn't seen the full, the full thing it's just it was a film that i knew the ending line i knew it was like four hours long and it looked like just not a me film at all um and i don't know um i was pleasantly surprised which i need to have the biggest caveat i do think there are serious issues with representation in this film um but just a little bit but yeah we'll get into that and but because you know as is part of my privilege i guess i'll put that aside for a second because it's not an everyday part of my life um which is yeah um I liked the film more than I thought I would. Were you mm. similar? I actually liked it less than I thought I would. Really? I thought I it was... I don't know why, but... Yeah, it's a well-made film. I'll, yeah. I'll give it that. It's obviously like, you know, the whole thing about David Selznick is that he was like a huge showman mm. who just wanted this thing to be the biggest, the greatest yes. thing ever made. You know, he put his actors through absolutely just like inhuman conditions to get this thing made, and there were several times where it almost like the set like blew up. Yeah, I think a couple of times there was a lot of like stuff like that going on. So obviously, a lot of effort went into making this film, but it's still just like it's it is boring. Um, it is it is yeah. a, a four hour movie. I mean, interestingly, I actually and I'm not the only person to have thought this. I think the first ninety minutes kind of rules. Um, and there is a 90 minute movie here that's really fun because the first 90 minutes you're like oh this is a satire and then the next 90 minutes you're like oh it wasn't oh it was not a satire so genuinely there is a director's cut I guess like a a producer's cut whatever Um, if you just take the first hour and a half of this movie and you go this cannot be straight faced this is taking the piss out of confederate values obviously and then there is a turning point when the war ends and you go Oh, they were no, not taking the piss. You know, 
that's actually that's exactly what hit me because I I watched uh, Gone with the Wind first, mm. and I genuinely was like, how can this level of nostalgia nostalgia for like a genteel kind of South and a doom noble cause thing be just so sincere? But it is, yeah, it just totally is. With both, of that, that's the big theme of both of these films. It's kind of got the same thing going on. We're like, oh, you know, look at how sort of almost sort of like. Is aristocratic the right word? I, I, I guess I, I guess that's kind of like rooted There's this in like old British, southern but... gentlemanly thing going mm. on. Apparently, I don't really know too much about the South, but like apparently that's the way it's supposed to view the South through that lens. And it's, then you're like, really? But it's like... really weird. It's like watching a Jane Austen film, but like transplanted to a different side of the world. Yeah, yeah everyone's yeah, acting like yeah. they're in the dance from like Emma or something. You're like, this yeah. does not feel right. And 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 Jane Austen writes satirical but also very emotionally astute and realist novels so you also get that full of the film being like oh yeah it's a satire and no no it is it is it is not a satire um so okay it's it's not straightforwardly a satire at all no but the thing is david Oselznik was actually more on the sort of liberal side of the political spectrum yes and there's things that kind of come through with that especially i think with the character of brett butler who is partly there to kind of be a sort of uh, avatar for the for northern audiences yeah um, because you need some of that skepticism to appeal to you know all of america's population or whatever mm. but also as a sort of i don't know as a sort of avatar potentially for some of his own skepticism i think mm. what did you think of that um you have to remind me i'm really bad with the names of characters so but i'm Clark, better with the name Clark of actors I've, yeah good Clark Gables, he's yeah. he's so good in this movie um I think the performances are what makes this movie borderline good for me. Um, I think Clark Gable is just brilliant and he's just chomping his way through this movie and just could not care about anything else, just slicing it up. I I guess, again, it's the political baggage thing of he takes on the weight of being a symbol for a cause that his character should not really be Mm. because he's a very kind of like mercenary figure that's very much out for himself but because of the lack of wider representation of the nation in this film, he becomes just your only insight into the Yankees, basically. Um, yeah. Which seems like a burden he's not ready for. And I like your point about scepticism, but he also presents a very false um, dichotomy of the South was respectable and genteel and the Northerners, yeah. they're scoundrels. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, which ain't great. <laughs> and I'm sure many Northerners were scoundrels, but when you're dealing in a symbolic picture, which this film wants to be, yeah. like the foundation of America, not as much as Birth of a Nation, obviously, because it's called Birth of a Nation. But um, the thing that I don't get is how is it that this view was so universal? Like this view of the South mm. as kind of this non-aggressive, really genteel thing was so popular throughout America. Do you know what I mean? Like, how is it that that view was the one that propagated between both of these films? It's like, it's as if that was just like, yeah, this is canon. Like, this is how, you know, this is how it really was. Of course... I have a theory. 19... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think it's my theory is you look at the time these films are coming out um, mm. and the intolerances of the time and the separation from the time period they're in. Um, I mean, partly there is a point of it was a while ago when these films are made and there is that rose-tinted view of we look back at the past and even in in england where we're we, we, where we both are we have that kind of idea of like oh pre-war kind of like perfection 
which is like even pushed by even like poets like Philip Larkin, who are like as cynical and bitter as you get, has yeah. his never such innocence line about um, the First World War. We have this yeah. view of being like, oh, it was all great and we were different, right. but we got along. And I think these films replicate that, yeah. that we want to go back to the idea of being like, there was a war and it was the war was bad, but right. the before the war was okay. not bad. Yeah, and the after the war. There was, there's a title card in uh, Birth of a Nation, which the first, the very first title card, which is if, if anyone walks away from this film with uh, something along the lines of having in mind that war is a terrible mm. thing, then, that, then I'm happy about that or something like that. And I was like, this is such bullshit. Like, this, <laughs> but that's the view of both these movies. It's, it, it's not that it's that war makes people bad and there were good people and they the, the badness was the war and then the war was over but we've gone with the wind it's like the war is over but is the war over which is somewhat interesting but it's the wrong lens to take on that because it focuses on the wrong side of it um but also i think more we've gone with the wind though actually going to what you said about birth of the nation you've got the the rise of the ku klux klan um ku klux sorry um which therefore shows intolerance of the time period um so it came out at a time when New South revisionism was a really mm. big thing. In fact, yeah. channeled by one Woodrow Wilson. Who was a was big a leading, fan of this movie! And also a leading academic who kind of published a lot of this kind of stuff. Do you uh, have the direct quote from him? Because the, the quote is more famous than the movie. I, I will paraphrase it from memory. He was like, it's so brilliant, yet all the more sad because it's so true. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he yeah, said like the famous line was it's history written with lightning um, yeah. which is a, a hell of a quote and he backpedaled later and said that he did not say that um, it's, it's a hell of a quote but it, it caused a lot of damage that because it sold the film as being therefore historical um, when it is one of the least historical films I've ever seen well I think it really you know not only did it, did it revive parts of the kkk and mm. made it into a really really powerful force in the 20s yeah but it also started this whole you know thing about the uh, you know southern identity revival i think mm. where it was i think that the film fundamentally shifted the way that the south was seen it was, there was a pre-birth of a nation kind of thing where i think it was kind of like the the view presented in the film which is this romantic kind of doomed cause but yes. fundamentally wrong fundamentally wrong but it, but it skips that stuff though doesn't it but after these this film i think it's more like oh the south was a kind of just non-aggressive mm. thing just trying to get on with their with their whatever you know thing they were trying to do and the north were the were the aggressors so yeah definitely um and i think though obviously birth of nation is the most heinous film here um but there is a subtle pernicious nature to Gone with the Wind um, because it's not as blatantly in your face racist. Um, it is much more subtly revisionist in its presentation. No, 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 I agree. I just think it, it's, 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 it's more of a passive continual racism ingrained into the film. It's yeah. much more subtextually racist than um, Birth of Nation, which, like, I don't know how you can watch Birth of Nation and not be like, blah, blah. But... I've had a lot of conversations about Gone with the Wind for reasons we'll get into soon, and people often tout its importance to... Um, I don't know how to phrase it. I guess to beat around the bush, well, to not beat around the bush, that it it is the reason the first like woman of colour got an Oscar, and that is used as a, as a pro for it, that it advanced the cause of like black acting, because Hattie yeah. McDaniel won an Oscar for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which 
on the surface is such a, a tempting point and i think that's why this film is a bit more pernicious because you're like oh it, it can't be that bad because it it really it got such a claim and it showed people that the black people could act but that's the problem as well yeah but the thing is like even that point is mm. really contentious yeah david ourselves really had to fight for that yeah he really had to fight for how to actually be in that that's what i wanted to say he, yes yeah yeah so, so it's not as straight cut as oh okay, no, you know this film was a watershed for like racial equality or whatever. It was actually hmm. <laughs> there are at least two things that need to be pointed out when talking about the Oscar story. The first of all is the out of fiction one. It's that she was allowed to attend the ceremony as a favor only because she was going to win. And when mm. she was at the ceremony, she was sat at a table by herself, segregated because it was a time of segregation. Um, which again links back to my point of this is why Gone with the Wind was popular because it, it presents a segregated society, culturally segregated to a legally segregated society and they see themselves in that and they see a genteel acceptance and beauty in that um, and um, Clark Gable almost boycotted the ceremony uh, but was told by Hatter McDaniel that he should just go um, which is a bit of a, a buffetic kind of like ending to that story the other thing is to remember what was the reason that he wanted to boycott it sorry oh, b- b- because it because it was um, segregated because they were oh, okay. not going to yeah. let Adam Daniel sit with them and he was just like well, I'm not going to go and she yeah. actually said to him no you should go um, the more important point in terms of like the art of the film I think is thinking about what they are actually giving an award for here because it's easy to get caught up with they gave an award to a black person as opposed to what kind of presentation of a person of colour are they rewarding? And all this shows to me is that white Hollywood will accept black actors when they are subjugated, when they are passive, and when they are secondary, and when they like being put under the yoke, basically. Yeah, because I mean, that's what the performance when is. When they fundamentally portray a very problematic, stereotypical yeah. portrayal of, you know, of black people. So it's yeah. like, yeah... <laughs> This is not a victory for people of colour at all. This is another victory for white supremacy. It's, and that's why it's more pernicious to me because it's, it's, it's hiding under that thing of being like, it looks like progress, but it's so many steps backwards in this tiny step forwards. Yeah. And because that was seen as good acting and what they should do, I think that was a, a toxic legacy for cinema as well. Because I think Hattie McDaniel is excellent in the film yeah. because she can act, but her role is a, a slave that loves her slavers. Yeah. yeah, and when she's emancipated, she still loves them. So yeah, it, it definitely um, yeah, it 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 portrays a lot of like tropes which are very problematic. Um, but I think that um, it's it's a really difficult debate sometimes mm. um, because sometimes I think we see people like. Um, quite as quite like progressive or whatever especially compared because apparently there's a lot of stories about him uh, doing mm. uh, edits to the adaptation of the book which is incredibly like that's it's like out really out there racist um and he was doing a lot of work to kind of push back on some of that and then you start to think oh maybe was david Selsen actually you know kind of a bit of a progressive figure but then like he probably wasn't yeah like, even and... even with all the stuff about you know the oscars and stuff i think 
fundamentally we should still be like okay yeah this film is no i i I completely agree and i think it's also worth reminding this is a different era of filmmaking i think you're the same as me in the my era of american cinema is new hollywood like new hollywood and beyond is where american cinema gets good for me before that there are some landmark films um and before that i like comedy and musicals basically yeah but the actual prestige old hollywood stuff just does not work for me um and as much as auteur theory is bunk the power of the director was this is a simplistic simplification of a point but the power of the director was very much more cemented in new hollywood this was the studio system when gone with the wind was coming out the amount of control that selznick had would be minor compared to your scorsese's that would come in a bit of like yeah he's making gone with the wind but this is a a big studio picture of lots of money in it that was always going to be a certain way and it was always going to look like a certain kind of film and picking out individuals in that is not as easy or as relevant i think as picking out individuals in the new hollywood movement and beyond yeah Mm. when the films got good (laughs) (laughs) also like with these films a lot of films i think have come up in in the discussion of these like that exist in their vicinity um because it touches on a lot of stuff that other films do and films of the time that are landmark pictures um but i think we should slap back to buffer nation for a tiny bit yeah i i would just say one thing to, to yep. your point about no good films back <laughs> that, that was a joke we, should, we shouldn't <laughs> completely gloss over it because i think Rather frustratingly, D.W. Griffith is the one that kind of walks away from that period as being seen as like the father of film or whatever. Yeah. But actually, there was a lot of really interesting directors going on. Which uh, I'm going to talk about soon, actually. Have you heard of Lewis Weber? No. She was kind of a contemporary of D.W. Griffith. And in fact, she made, for for the time, for the period that they were both working, it was a kind of an even kind of horse race between uh, Griffith and her. Uh, about how sort of how successful their films were and in fact Lewis Weber's films overall kind of brought in more money or whatever and success Mm. than than Griffith's combined films and so in some ways she she should be seen as kind of more influential than Griffith but in fact she's totally forgotten and some of her films are very interesting they deal with a lot of kind of progressive issues like poverty and women's rights and sexual rights and a lot of very things basically mm. so don't i don't want to just you know walk away with this oh 1915 that was like you know they, they had no ideas apart from like uh really racist uh, well yeah I, I i do want to talk about that actually and I'm, I'm going to lead into that point because i've got a counter film as well that i watched this week um that i'm really glad that i watched this week because i loved it uh it's from 1920 we'll build up to that because we'll have the conversation about therefore the import and the relevance of birth of a nation i guess mm. so i mean make your case and convince me because i am definitely the opinion that i just don't think you need to watch this film and i think it's an ingrained white supremacist white supremacism and it's an ingrained canonical view of i just don't think this film is that important and i don't really care about it and i don't get why you would have to watch it well i would i would say that this is going to sound like i don't know a bit like uh it probably needs a bit more analysis but i just think that to understand a lot of like the dynamic, the legacy of the dynamics in America uh, uh, with respect to, to race, I think 
can owe a lot to cultural artifacts like this. Yes, true. Basically. Uh, can you really understand Trump without root, like going into this kind of stuff, without seeing at least, you know, one of these two films? I think maybe you can't, because I was quite ignorant of like the way that the South was portrayed and some of these tropes mm. that come through in both of these films. I was really ignorant of them before I watched these films. So for Ooh. me, it was like, okay, actually, you know, this is quite eye-opening. That's really you know, interesting. I didn't know about the stuff about the KKK. I didn't know about how the South was portrayed and how the, the view of the South changed after sort of uh, New South Revisionism. And if you don't want to read a lot of really dry academic li literature on that stuff, then the three-hour film is a pretty condensed way to make a point about American history. I, I agree with you up until, a, up until a point, and I think that going back to look at these things as explainers of a worldview, I think is very pertinent, I think is very important, I do think is useful. But for me, again, it's I don't think you need to go back to the source. And what I would love, actually, is I would like one of our great filmmakers at the moment to make like a documentary that unpicks these kinds of things. Because I don't think you have to watch the film but I do agree with you, you need to know about the film and watch the history around it um, or learn about the history around it because I think the film is, it is a bit of a dangerous thing because it is uneditorialized. that if you go in and watch in the film, there is no guarantee of what view you're going to come out with. Um, if I just I just think if you, if you shy away from watching things which are potentially offensive, yeah. how do you know the, what the actual thing is? How can you draw a really accurate definition of it, you know? But I, and I think the definition informs the dynamics. It informs how these things work. So if you want to if you want to create policy or write, you know, whatever, commentary on it, I think you do need to know what really happened. I, I think to an extent, yes. And I, I, I think if you are very much... Because I mean, I watch this film and I was always going to watch this film. If you are very much into film as like a, a language and as an academic interest then I say yes then you should watch this not because of the film because the film is not worth your time at all but because of its impact and because of how it echoes forward through film history um, my issue is two of those conversations get caught up in the film itself being worthwhile which I don't think the film itself is worthwhile if you're a casual viewer though don't watch Birth of a Nation you'll get nothing out of it yeah, that's there's there's no need. Like, if you're interested in, in that part of history, go to Wikipedia.org. It's a good website. <laughs> it's an all right website. <laughs> so you know, it's got good code, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I yeah. Mm. I'm not going to turn around to any of my friends but you and say, you know what, you should watch Birth of a Nation. I'm going to say, you know what, you shouldn't watch Birth of a Nation. Also, I mean, I know this podcast is kind of built on this idea. But I also somewhat regret the canonical view of film, of being yeah. like, like, don't watch Birth of a Nation. Watch the twenty other films that should have been Birth of a Nation, that should have had that impact, that should have changed cinema. I was actually about to say that, which is, it's complete chance. It's to some extent it's complete chance that mm. this film was the. Well, is it actually? Now yeah, that said, that's that's that. yeah. Now that I said I don't agree with it at all because there is a, probably a reason for why it was so successful, which is that you know this worldview appeals to millions of Americans. So yeah anyway i'm just saying a different film could have been the first big one yes definitely and i want to get to that in terms of its craft in a bit but i think it comes back to these were the two and still kind of are most 
successful films of all time and you don't make a film with that wide appeal without appealing to a lot of assholes. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> if, if, like, if you look at, I mean, I'm going to sound really elitist here, if you look at the big, big mainstream cinema, I don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is because it, it, it is pandering to an audience that is unengaged and very are passive. About, are you about to do this, Cortese? No, because I, I think it's cinema. I'm not going to say it's not cinema. And also, I think some of those some of those films are very, very good. Um, yeah. But they are few and far between. But there is a brand of just, like, consumerist cinema of if we want to hit the biggest audience, it's going to have some stuff in there that, if you think about it, is objectionable. Because the base pleasures that people want from their entertainment, unless you're reflecting on them, they are real nasty. Mm. I think that's slightly veering on the puritanical for me, but like, <laughs> I get I, I get the sentiment. Definitely. Well, it's like if you look at the bestseller list of books, it's not books that I'm going to want to read. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they <laughs> be I, No, no, no. I think they should be created. I mean, yeah, no, like they should make him. But yeah. I'm, this is what I'm saying. You, you shouldn't need to want. I guess I'm framing myself poorly. My point is, you shouldn't need to want to watch them. Because Transformers 7 comes out and makes $5 billion, you should not yeah. feel compelled that you should see it as well. I don't know why the hell I watched Avengers movies that I knew I wouldn't like. And I, I didn't like them. And I was like, well, but what was I expecting? It's not a film for me. I need to make you watch that Marxist breakdown of Transformers that I, just, I saw. Yeah, I mean, that I'm into. And <laughs> I, I, actually, I did, I, the most recent Avengers I thought was okay, to be fair. Um, you know that Michael Bay is in the Criterion collections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched a Michael Bay film this week. Which one? The Rock. Oh, The Rock. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> it's got a lot of Nicolas Cage in it. I like Nicolas Cage a lot. Yeah. What can I say? Um, so let's do the devil's advocate. Let's invent our devil's advocate. The people that want to talk about Birth of Nation because they say that it invents the cinema. There's the great story of um, Spike Lee being at film school and they made them watch Birth of Nation because they do at film school and he was the only person that was like this is racist and horrible and everyone was like no 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 it's a great film and he was like why are you showing us this this is just horrible um, and he made a, a short film in reaction to it um, because the people want to tell you this is a landmark piece of cinema because of the craft they introduced because there are certain things done in this film that were not done before um, what is your response to that? Well, actually, I was going to add that uh, there's a similar story about Gone with the Wind with Spike Lee because he watched it as a child Spike in Lee this school, and apparently he was really disturbed by it. But no one like came up to him and said, "Like, are you okay? Like, this film's a bit weird." And, like, you know, yeah. because at the time people weren't really, you know, they weren't really um, questioning Gone with the Wind's kind of legitimacy. So, awesome. my only my only response is going to be to agree with you that yeah, the the effect these films can have on people are actually quite profound and quite mm. like you know, so. Uh, do you think it's worthwhile because of its technical innovations, though? Uh, worthwhile in what way? Like, as, as just like, mm. you know... Should we celebrate it? Should we do the Lenny Riefenstahl thing? Oh, okay. Of uh, go, mm. it's evil, but it's beautiful. Which also I feel uncomfortable with. I think yes, because then we can own the parts of cinema that can be put to good aesthetic use without okay. necessarily owning their creators. And in some way that liberates it from the problematic things but i don't know i mean like it's kind of i think probably this is a false dichotomy like, yeah you're gonna you're gonna have the techniques 
with with or without First Nation. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the craft in this film is also... I don't think it's used very well. I think there's a lot of empty technique here of there are shots being used the first time that clearly echo forwards in film history, but I don't think they add much to the film. I don't think they're very interesting in of themselves. And I think that goes to show that these are just innovations that would have happened, and this was just the film that they happened to happen in. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the film itself is not very interesting to watch. It's not very compelling to watch. I find it very, very boring. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are some, like, impressive things. Mm. Like, the set-piece battle, I suppose. I mean, that's the first ever battle on film, like, set-piece yeah. battle thing. So, okay. But if you've learned yeah. anything from the, he- like, the history of theatre and art and even, like, painting we were always going to do big shows of battles because we love an art replicating scale and battles. Mm -hmm. It was always going to happen. And actually, I see that as more of a slight of it's a a mark on our film history that this is the film that did it first. That's what that innovation got used on. Kind of mires it. I don't like that. Uh, It's so unfortunate, though. It's just, Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Because people have that argument. They go, well, it has the first example of this shot. And you go... Well, I can't prove that shot would happen anyway, but I think that it would. I'm pretty, like, you probably could prove it. Watch any other director around the time, you'd be seeing, oh, they're doing pretty similar things. Actually, yeah, yeah going back to my thing with, with Lewis Webber, watch her films. She, she, she was also a great pioneer of a lot of techniques, so like, yeah. Yeah. Again, why, why aren't we talking about her films? Like, one of hers is, like, 1913, I think. It's called um, something which I cannot remember. Uh, suspense and there's a lot of pioneering stuff in that going on so check that out do you watch a lot of silent film no i really don't like it yeah i'm when when i came across weber lewis weber she's yeah she seemed cool so i was like yeah i want to see if this is a me issue or if it's a person issue do you find silent film on a language of film level quite hard to kind of like get on with yeah a little bit what do you mean by that I think my issue is because and I think this is maybe a unique issue to people like us because I watch so many films I am so attuned I guess in that Noam Chomsky way to like an internal language of film the film I expect something to look like something like something else and I get swept up in it and I find silent film quite difficult to watch sometimes because it's not speaking the same language and I generally find it quite challenging to follow the storytelling in silent film sometimes because it's a different kind of storytelling and my brain is not attuned to it. Yeah, it's probably because film has come so far. Mm. You know, things have changed so much that that, those really early kind of inchoate ways of doing things were just not very very effective, basically. But I think some of them were, though. No, that's the thing. Charlie Chaplin's films, man. Like, those are time... Like, some of the scenes in that are timeless. If you were to make them again today, it still would be the same thing, but... And, and there are films because I, I watched um, The Passion of Dread of Ark recently and I thought that was yeah, transcendent yeah, exactly. I thought that was a, a phenomenal very film very good example very good example yeah but then I feel it's because it it has more in line with what I expect from contemporary cinema um, maybe well, contemporary cinema has taken the good bits of True. film maybe. and reused those yeah and again I think it's the it's the comedy and musical point they go back to of like early silent comedy I agree your Buster Keaton's your Charlie Chaplin's um, yeah I, I I can get a lot out of that and that's enjoyable because I think the language of comedy is much more universal but the cinematic language of silent film I find quite hard to pass which links me into the film I wanted to mention so I watched um, a film I messaged you about um, Within Our Gates 
which oh, yeah. is a terrific film. Um, um, Oscar Michaud. It is the first surviving film by, by a black director um, from 1920 mm. um, within our gates. And I did find it quite hard to follow at points, which I think was on me rather than the film. Yeah. But also because it, it felt quite novelistic. Like the first 10 minutes, I was just like, every shot has introduced a new character and given their name and I've forgotten who everybody is and you've expected me to internalise that logic and I don't know who they were and I've lost the plot already. Oh my God, no. Um, ah. But then the rest of the film kind of like moves away from that. Um, it interests me though that Within Our Gates is not being talked about in film schools or whatever, but Birth of Nation is. Or they're not being taught about, taught about in tandem because Within Our Gates is as experimental and interesting, but is a film of substance. Because it is a film about systemic racism, um, but it also has this amazing non-linear structure, which doesn't always work. But it is also that idea of being like, this is someone trying something that no one had really done yet. And it doesn't work 100% of the time, but it's really, really fascinating. And this is a really important, experimental and effective work from a black filmmaker from 1920 it's a historical part of cinema why isn't this talked about all the time yeah no well exactly i mean it we is, know we know why it's not talked about yeah. all the time because of yeah. white supremacy because of systemic racism um but that's why every conversation i want to be that guy about birth nation i go actually no within our gates let's talk about that film instead mm-hmm. it's such a great counterpoint to that film and it has scenes of racialized violence in them that are just so shocking and it has really perceptive points in it like there's a really really intelligent bit towards the end of there's this fl- flashback that the film's predicated on you don't realize until the end that oh that's why this is all happening of this the main character's father ends up shooting this white dude who is a horrendous racist um and this guy called Ephraim, a black guy called Ephraim, watches it all happen, and he's known as a town gossip. So he goes to tell the white people this just happens because he sees himself as their equal, and he therefore thinks he's going to get cultural cachet out of that. And it's one of the <laughs> best ways of displaying the you will never be that, you don't understand, because he thinks, ah, oh, I've got it. And then he is instantly subordinated and instantly made disposable and the idea of just the systemic racism displayed there of how it turns people on each other and how they don't understand that everyone is playing this game that is loaded against them was just such a great way of showing that and for a film from 1920 I was like this is astonishing why haven't I heard of this film oh racism that's why yeah that, that sounds very very cool by the way I'm going to check that out it's a great it's a great movie it's a really great film um, um, Talking about very realistic portrayals of like racial violence. <laughs> All right, let's do a, a BuzzFeed top five. No, no. Um, have you seen Goodbye Uncle Tom? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't. I do know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about that. It's like it's quite controversial as well. Partly because um, wait, well, it's incredibly realistic. Like the way that it portrays slavery is like literally like completely. <coughs> Well, that... As close as you can get to actually filming it. So... Um, so there was a lot of, you know, claims about... I mean, there was the black exploitation era, mm. anyway, at the time. Um, so hey, I've, I've seen Dolomite. 
I'm the kind of guy that's seen Dolomite. Of course I've seen Dolomite. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I don't know. Like, to me, again, I'm going to make the same point. Of, oh, how can you really know what something is if you haven't really seen it or whatever? Um, but I don't know. It's kind of, it's, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I feel very conflicted on that thing because I feel with film kind of like I will watch films that I know I'm not going to like or that I know I'm going to disagree with because I it's part of like, I just I, I like film and I like being able to talk about it. But I'm also, outside of that, I'm not the kind of guy that goes to watch a Ben Shapiro video because I need to see what the other side is thinking. That's just not me. Oh, that's that's interesting. The 100% not. And I'm really, I, I have a very visceral reaction to that because I, I don't think you should do that because my, my point on all this stuff is just like, if you're engaging in political criticism, you should be looking into arguments and actually putting forward thought and if you're interested in a topic, why haven't you read all this stuff on this side? Why are you going to that? Of like, there are so many amazing books on post-colonial theory, on racism, on all these areas that I have not read. And why am I watching a bloody Ben Shapiro video? Just to be yeah. like, well, I'm, they... not saying, I'm not saying indulge in the mm. Ben Shapiro videos. I'm just saying, like, you know, you should probably, if you're interested in the in the debate, you should probably you know have an accurate view of what people are saying that's just my i i understand that but then i also that gets bought into the thing where it's like it's not a debate though because you're never going to win this with with logic so therefore trying to learn the logic is is pointless him specifically he is quite disingenuous that's that's yeah yeah. and you should be careful about like yeah the way yeah the way that the debates are framed there but i yeah there is a bit of me that always thinks like you should try to be as objective as you can be uh, which kind of means like understanding what something is uh, I, and there's an there's an empirical part to that you know like uh you know we're not that good at we're not that good at understanding the world through like abstractions mm. and theory so to make something quite raw and real after you've read a book about post-colonialism i don't know read like um what's it called uh, half darkness, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, so, I did that already. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of yeah. It kind of does bring home what it really means on a like more human level. I mean, I, I to I, some extent, I think Birth of a Nation kind of does that. You know, it's like, oh wow, okay, this is pretty bad. But then it goes like, back to my contextualized point of what I want to watch really is I want to watch someone like Raoul Peck or Spike Lee make the Birth of a Nation documentary, make the yeah. unpicking film theory of and i know those two filmmakers could do it because they've both made amazing documentaries about about race um so i know i know i'm pigeonholing them but for good reason because when i think about books about race that i've read that i love so um recently akala's natives is just such a phenomenal book if you haven't read it you should read it and tana hesse coats between the world and me i'm reminded that in these books it's not just one person pushing one side they get into the debate and they present the viewpoint they're talking against and they go into history of like good argument and good academic kind of like literature explores theory and explores an issue it's not about this is this side and that side and i feel you can learn enough by just seeking out the really good voices on a topic then it goes into how do you know who the good voices are that's the problem yeah. i guess have you seen 2016's Nation? no and i i didn't see it at the time because of the thing that happened were you aware of the controversy at the time 
I only read up about it like literally before starting this podcast, so I don't know too much about it. But I think I, there was something around. The yeah, director. I don't want to get into this conversation because I I know precious little about it, and I don't know if the decision made was the right one because I did not have all the facts in front of me. Um, mm. Because it, it goes into a lot of issues. There was a sexual assault allegation made against the director. Um, yeah. The, I mean that's I and, and that therefore tanked the film. Now. There is a lot of reason why that should tank the film, but then there are a lot of people talking about. I, again, I don't know enough about this. Um, let's imagine for a second it was baseless. I don't know if it was or not. I can't remember. Um, let's imagine it was baseless. People kept talking about how the people make allegations about white directors all the time, and they don't get damaged by this. And this is just an attempt to scupper this person's film. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I should have watched the film probably, um, and I still haven't got around to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it either, so I can't really yeah. uh, say anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bold choice, an interesting to do to take the name Birth of a Nation, and again, in Black Klansman, there are clips of Birth of a Nation in it. It is a yeah. part of filmic language for good, and it's being used very well, but do you need to go back to the source? Mm. Three yeah. hours of your life. Like, you could watch good movies then. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. I feel like we haven't talked about Gone with the Wind enough. No. I think we should slightly reset our can balance. I, can I talk about the two things that I thought were awesome in Gone with the Wind? Sure, <laughs> All right, yeah. no, here, here are my top three moments. Um, one moment is just a character. I think the heroine of the film is awesome. Um, I love that she's so deeply unlikable. Mm. Um, and I... have, have you read much about Vivian Lee? No, no, I haven't. Please, she's amazing, me. man. She's literally, she's like insane. She's like, <sighs> so she was married to Laurence Olivier, like, cool. a, it was, it was cool. like a very famous celebrity couple kind of thing for, for the time. And um, she was just, I don't really know what the right word is, definitely manic on the manic side of things, and just like really kind of. Um, just really kind of energetic and like just i don't know really um i think she's wonderful in this film and i yeah. understand that people hate her character but I, I i love how the film just allows her to be just she's awful like she's such a a manipulative person of the kind you don't see filmic leads yeah. like that very much and she's in almost every scene of the film she just commands yeah. this picture and I'm off. I'm always the opinion of unlikable characters are fine. Uninteresting characters is a sin. You can make an unlikable character, and that's great as long as they're interesting. And I think she's very interesting. She's so compelling. Mm-hmm. So that's what one. I was going to say is that she's the the actress who plays her is very similar to her in real life. She sounds great. Then therefore, I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's my third point. Um, number two, it's the given. Clark Gable's final line is hardcore. What is his final line? There's a reason it's iconic. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's great. Oh, okay. It's yeah. such a good way to do it. Have you, have you seen the Simpsons episode where they redo the ending? No. Oh, mate, it's so good. Welcome to Stephen just describes a Simpsons scene. Um, but they, <laughs> they go to Grandpa Simpson, Abe Simpson's retirement home, and he's like, we've got all the movies. Um, they even let us watch Gone with the Wind. Then he takes out the, um, the reel, and it says, now with happy ending. <laughs> And they're watching the ending, and it just cuts to some voiceover, and it goes, "Frankly, my dear, let's get married and stay together forever." 
<laughs> oh, it's terrific. So yeah, that bit is great. Um, my secret favourite bit of the film, which reflects on me poorly, um, there was a bit I was so surprised by that happened in the film. I was like, all right, I'm back on board. It lost me for like an hour because I was like, mm. I'm bored of this movie. And then when the child just died... Oh, yeah, yeah. Just fell off a horse and just face planted and died. I was like, okay, movie. Didn't think you were going to do that. I am back. It is surprisingly dark. It was and so even, dark. Also, by the way, like Clark Gable's character, literal like rapist. How could I, this film, man? Just... There's some bad. There's some bad stuff in that film. But when they're like, "Don't go on that horse. Don't go on that horse," she's like, "I'm gonna do it anyway." And you, you just—it's a really well shot moment of it cuts between there's that jump, there's that horse, there's that jump, and just boom, face plant, and then it just without dropping a beat, it's like a punchline. Just goes boom, smash cut, funeral, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Did not expect it. Loved that. Loved that. <laughs> Best moment of the film. Always love a good bit of talk there. It was just, it was the audacity of the smash cut from, I'm going to ride a horse, dude, you're dead now. It felt like one of those really regressive, like, public service announcements of, like, the 80s. Oh, yeah, <laughs> if you yeah, smoke yeah. a cigarette, you'll die. It was like, don't ride horses. Bam. That bit was great. Five stars, yeah. that bit. Great movie. Um, yeah. Actually, no, I think, should we just finish up? the discussion about Rhett Butler, Clark Gable's character. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think I actually did get your opinion despite asking ask um, like Yeah, true. Um, obviously, there are points about his character that are heinous. Um, yeah. But I think his performance shines through. I do like how much he deconstructs towards the end. Um, that you see him kind of fall apart a bit. There is that, because it's four hours long, there is mm-hmm. that sense of a facade that slips and slips. And I feel that moment at the end that's iconic is really earned. It's just like, no this is over um i I really liked those two characters with major caveats and they really held the movie for me in a way i did not think the movie could be held Mm. what did you think yeah yeah i thought i mean obviously the guy's got like quite a lot of charisma guy Um, can act man yeah yeah no he's he's a very interesting character he's not the kind of character you think for me like i don't i don't know if like that whole idea of the archetype of like the leading man or whatever was was like that very mm. roguish before him yeah he introduced point. that whole thing i don't really know that's a really good point um, because like you've got it's not what you expect he's genuinely like a really bad person and you he's think, a harrison like... ford role right okay so that's where that comes from i would okay, I, so... I presume so because like even in harrison ford's like most celebrated movies he is a, a you know a woman a woman beater like yeah. or is like pushing women into scenarios they don't want to be in all in the name of oh he's so puckish and roguish right i think there is a direct i i I, to to my untrained eyes there is a direct lineage there of being like if that is that just several years later more than several several decades later that makes sense that makes sense um yeah what did you think of the film that i recommended to watch after gone with the wind which was um the watermelon woman oh that movie is incredible i loved it um if you have not seen Cheryl Dunn use the water, I may maybe pronounce that improperly. I'm sorry. Um, the watermelon woman. You that is a. I've told so many people to watch that movie because um, I I made a list of like 13 essential films by black filmmakers, and that was was on the list for good reason because it's absolutely brilliant. Um, 
actually watermelon woman reminds me a lot of within our gates to go back to that film um mm-hmm. because the argument of watermelon woman which is accurate is that it goes back to that if you can't see it you can't be it kind of point of there is no inspirational cinematic icon for black women basically and especially yeah. for queer black women they don't have that in filmic history and it's this lovely if you don't know the film uh, which maybe will not it's this pseudo documentary fake documentary slice yeah. of life romantic comedy about this girl that works at a video store that gets obsessed with this actor from early film um and she starts to make a film about this actor but the punchline of the film is this person doesn't exist. It's a made-up yeah, character it's for the film. And the it's fact fictitious. that that punchline works tells you basically everything you need to, you need to know it's, really, it, about it, racism it, in, in the film industry. Because if that happened to a white actor, mm. you wouldn't be able to get... You'd, you'd be able to tell. Like, who is this very famous person who yeah. literally doesn't ever come up in any, you know, thing that you said for or whatever? They, it can't be, so they must be fictitious. But with a black actress, sorry, actor from that era, it's less... It's less easy to be like, yeah, oh, you... well, you know, they're not not really coming up. But is that sort of, you know, is that normal? Is that expected? I don't really know. Like, yeah, you feel like there could have been this great like missing it's, person exactly. history. You're like, this could exactly. be the case. Yeah. Hmm. It, have you seen Searching for Sugar Man? No. Oh, you should watch that. It's a really good documentary um, about a an artist who was not very popular in the states, but was influential, and they just think he's disappeared, and they think he's dead. I don't want to ruin the rest of the movie, but they find out that he's really popular in different parts of the world. And there is a, I mean, it's a true story, but it's the same kind of thing of being like, it goes from being this nobody to the, this is a huge, a huge, huge deal. But what's interesting about Watermelon Woman is with the film Within Our Gates, you kind of have, if we focused on films like that more back in the day, we could have had that history. Because Within Our Gates is pretty much Apart from there are white characters in it, obviously, but it's 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 black actors all the way through. And one of the most heinous things about um, Birth of Nation is the use of blackface. And the reason blackface is used is they use it when there are women on screen because they thought it would be dangerous to have black actors near women. Was that the reason? I was wondering about Yes, I, I read about this. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, they were like, we can't have women and like older people sharing the set with black people therefore we will black up white actors mm-hmm. and you got that it... going on yeah oh it's not a good movie <laughs> <laughs> so then like Cheryl Dunyi being like there could have been a different film the film that could have been of if, if, if these films had caught on if they'd have become canonical in our language about film as opposed to all this focus on birth of nation oh it might be racist but it's important if we'd be like no throw it out who cares there could have been an actual watermelon woman that was a big right. part of film history yeah and now yeah, there sure, isn't sure. and there will never be mm-hmm. yeah down with birth of nation what a controversial take that i'm what a you know what a new take the movie's bad yeah but yeah, watch The Watermelon Woman, watch Within Our Gates, watch so, 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 so much great work from black filmmakers out there. And it's it does exist in the past. There are 
great early works by black filmmakers. A lot of them are lost, unfortunately, and a lot of them will not be spoken about because we want to push this, again, white supremacist, systemic racist view of Hollywood as great white filmmakers pushing the way and allowing the black actor to have an award every now and then that they are the podium that's lifting them up when actually they are the boot that's pushing them down. Mm. And Gone with the Wind and Birth of a Nation prove that. Which I think before we get to the ratings we should end with the current debate which is that um hbo have just pulled um gone with the wind off of their new streaming service yeah i saw that um yeah that's that's really cool i didn't to be honest like because i just assumed that gone with the wind was such a big part of america's like mm. cultural fabric it would never happen but actually yeah like things can actually change that's yeah cool. i think i think it's rad and i've had so many conversations about this um and why i think it's such an important statement again if we're talking about recent i mean history we're living in history at the moment if we talk about recent events there was this absolutely amazing moment in britain just a few weeks ago where some people tore down a statue of a slaver and they dragged it to a bay and they pushed him symbolically into the bay to sink to the bottom and it was so hardcore and the other reason why it was so cool is because it's led to more education about this figure and our colonial past in the last three weeks than has in my entire lifetime that's so true and in fact so a lot of people have been saying stuff like why is it that i you know know all of like henry VIII's wives but yeah. don't know who edward colston was or yeah. who cecil rhodes was mm. and i think that this round of black lives matter protests has really progressed the debate very quickly in a mm. way that wouldn't have happened so like the whole Cecil Rhodes things and now Oriel College and Oxford has agreed to actually take down the statue awesome. I don't think that would have would have happened without this kind of because it's still because it happened four years ago but it really stalled I think there was a lot yeah. of like vague promises about what was going to happen but this time around I think they really realized that we can't really you know we really can't and with the Gone with the Wind thing, I mean, I'm a person that runs a podcast about censored and banned film. I'm very anti-censorship. I mean, I I watch those video nasties because I think it's so crazy that they banned these films. Mm. But I think people don't understand what censorship is. And Gone with the Wind is not being banned. It is not being taken out of history. If you run a service, you can put whatever films on it you want and it reflects on you. HBO taking off Gone with the Wind is not removing it from anywhere. It's them being like, we shouldn't actually, we shouldn't have this film up without an explanatory note because they shouldn't have it up without a note. Um, and people have this knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, they're taking away, they're taking away. So much education about this film has come from that. I had a conversation recently on actually a mutual friend of ours, um, Tom, who we went to school with. He was yep. posting his support of this, being like, because Little Britain comes out, he was like, you know what, take it down, who really cares? If you really want to go watch it somewhere, you can go watch it somewhere. Yep. And someone replied with, it's not their fault, they don't know stuff. They were like, oh, what are they going to do next? Like, remove 12 years a slave? Like, people don't want to watch films that depict slavery. And I'm like, oh my god, you don't know what Gone with the Wind is. You don't know. And I've learned so much people don't know what this film is they hear yeah. Gone with the Wind and they say Hattie McDaniel she won an Oscar and they went oh and it portrayed the life of slaves I'm like oh it didn't though and that's why this film needs to have a big note before it being like by the way um, I'm so torn now because of what you just said on the one hand the ignorance kind of shouldn't exist mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like the ignorance means that people don't know the full extent 
of, of racism, mm. you know, and it's there, like, in the film, like, pretty clearly yep. in both films. So on the one hand, it's like, maybe we, it should be, like, pretty prominently seen. No, I but think it should be seen, hand, but, but it should but be on the other hand, explanatory. Yeah, no, yeah. bam. Like, I watched, because, again, because I'm me, I watched um, the film from the 1950s, because the 1950s is British cinema, I'm all about, um, Night of the Demon, which is a, an early horror film from the person that did um, Cat People, which is another great movie. And mm-hmm. I was watching it on TV, because it was on TV, and it had a note before it that was awesome, that was just like, this film has depictions in it, um, I can't remember the exact words, and it has racist depictions in it, and it goes, they were wrong then, and they are wrong now. However, they have been left in because they do reflect the time when the film was made and it would be a lie to exclude them but it made you to have that code there being like boom this has this it was wrong then it is wrong now it's in the movie but it's still in the movie and you need to do that I've gone with the wind mm. you need to yeah because otherwise people just people will not watch Gone with the Wind because people like us have not watched Gone with the Wind and they'll spend their entire life being like that's an important film Gone with the Wind So take it down, put it back up, put a little code in front of it. Yeah. Though I think you need. But, then, but then on the other hand, on the other hand, you also have the Spike Lee anecdote where it's like actually this thing could actually be quite damaging. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Which is why it needs it needs curating. And actually, this I think this is true. So the BBFC, the British Board of Film Classification, um, obviously, if a film is released or re-released, it has to be certificated. And Birth of a Nation was re-released. And I'm pretty sure this isn't made up. So double check if you don't believe me. But the BBFC made a ruling that for it to be released, it would forever have a disclaimer at the beginning of it. That that was the only way they would release it, was to have a disclaimer about this is a racist film. It is a part of film history, and it's an important film, but it is racist. Yeah. Which is great. And they were like, we will not allow this to be released without that disclaimer. So, our conclusion is a win for the disclaimer. Yeah, I'm yeah pro disclaimer, like contextualized things. Context is awesome. Mm. Pro, um, pro re-editing seminal works of art. You know, you're not editing the film though. You're just putting the <laughs> thing before it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey, if David Guetta could do a remix where he puts a beat under Martin Luther King's speeches, a thing that he did. <laughs> Yes, look it up. Oh my god, it's it's awful. It's uh, it's one of the worst things I've seen in my life. It's him. It's a music video of like him on a skyscraper that's always just like, oh, you do not get this. Like blaring out his music to the world, where it's just him playing some beat, and then he just samples Martin Luther King over the top of it. Martin Luther King Jr. Sorry, Um, in case you were confused. Wow. Should we get reductive? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Is there there a need to write these films? (laughs) <laughs> is there a real need to do this? No, I don't think there is actually. Um, I think we should skip the ratings. I honestly like because it could really go either way. Like, all right, if someone, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to skip my rating of Nation. It's a one star movie. But what does that mean? What does it's crap? It's crap. Movie? It's crap, and it's racist. It's boring. I didn't find anything to like in this one at all, and it shocks people. Like, oh, it's so impressive. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, it's really boring. It's boring and it's racist. What do you want in a movie if that's what you want? Okay. All I'm going to say is that <laughs> I'm really, I'm really conflicted about doing the rating because 
I think as a cultural artifact, like mm-hmm. it's really important. Yeah. It's like a really important thing. Yeah. That like shouldn't be destroyed or anything. No. Um I guess how yeah, I guess it, it just depends on what hat I'm wearing as as a viewer. Like if I'm just a casual viewer and I'm you know, I've been told to watch this, it's that it's like utter crap. Yeah, yeah. it's literally like it's a bad movie. 0. 0. 0.5 stars. <laughs> no half stars. Um, no half stars, but one star, <laughs> fine. But obviously like as a really important thing that exists in the world. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, obviously, yeah. I'm going to have to say one, so I can't say anything else. No. But but, but that's the thing. Like, that's why I say let's get reductive of we need to separate evaluative rating from conversations around a film. A film can be important and still be bad. Art could be bad and still important. I can't wait for a Heaven's Gate review. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, and Gone with the Wind will not rate because it's, it's, I don't know. It's Gone with the Wind. Like, I liked it more than I thought I would, but I still don't think it's great. Like, you know, mm. there's that great bit where a child dies. <laughs> Just watch that scene. Though without the three hours before it, it's not as powerful because it's such a left turn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. So there you go. Um, that's two movies that I've now never have to watch again in my life. Mm. Kind of happy about that. Same. Yeah. So next time, I guess we'll technically be talking about um, Sarlo and Derek Jarman's Blue. Um, That's true. But the real next time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do Eyes Wide Shut and AI, right? Okay. Yeah. Oh, is that what we decided? Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. have not seen Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen that, but I haven't seen AI. And I just watched AI. Have. Only just watched it. Yeah. I'm not watching it again. Um, because it's long and, yeah. yeah so yeah we'll, we'll talk about those I look forward to that that should be interesting I'm really looking forward to Eyes Wide Shut it's a film I've just not got around to seeing because it's very polarising yes no it's good my, my sorry spoilers <laughs> um, I think you might you will enjoy it yeah so, um, um, it, it, it is in line with kind of films that I like and I, I quite yeah. like Stanley Kubrick I think he makes good movies pretty good guy yeah yeah, he made so. movies. yeah oh speaking of stanley kubrick though vera lynn vera lynn died oh oh no way 103 yeah she died um, as of this recording 103 103 as of this recording she died yesterday um oh. dates this recording so yeah okay. um watch dr strangelove again and just you know vera lynn yeah yeah that's our recommendation don't watch uh <laughs> I like that we've talked about like important works of black filmmakers and we've ended with go watch Stanley Kubrick movies. Though actually I will end this by reading out um so it's it's a very little thing to do um because it's very important at this moment to and the irony of this part of a podcast to if you are a white dude listen more than you speak. I'm aware I just spoke for the last hour. Um and make sure that the important voices are getting out there. Um, but I know some movies. Um, if you want to, you know, get more acquainted with wider and more diverse cinema, I have made a list of um, 13 essential films from 13 different black filmmakers, um, which I will read to us now. And I, actually, I'll see how many of these, you, how many of these you've seen, Albert. Um, number one, Fruitvale Station. I don't want to answer because. <laughs> because I'm going to come out as a very white blinkered 
Uh, Fruit, Fruit, Fruit Bus Station, the um, Ryan Coogler movie. I think it's his debut. Um, I mean, even if you haven't seen it, you know what it's about. It's obviously especially important for the moment. You may not want to watch it right now. I think that's very, very fair. Um, but a really important, great film. And from that, obviously, Ryan Coogler went on to do Black Panther, which I think is really, really great. Um, following that, um, next on the list, um, Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee's best movie. Um, it's an incredible film. I would also recommend Malcolm X. Um, I would also recommend his new film, Defy Bloods, and his um, HBO documentary, When the Levees Broke, on Hurricane Katrina. Again, really important film to watch at the moment. It talks about, you know, systemic racism and the government kind of like not supporting its people, but supporting a certain kind of people. Um, also, um, Four Little Girls um, from that ilk as well, um, his documentary. Um, Raoul Peck's I Am Not Your Negro, a documentary about James Baldwin, one of my favourite writers. Um, really worth watching. It really unpicks the civil rights struggle, but it's a film that uses a lot of contemporary footage um, to very much make that point that this struggle is not over and the war is ongoing. The next film, Cheryl Dunyi's The Watermelon Woman, which Abbott recommended to me, talked about earlier. Tremendous movie. You have seen that one. Um, one of the best movies of the last decade, Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You, which is just such an incredible movie, like so audacious, so out there, the kind of wild, interesting cinema that you just do not get enough. Boots Riley's my favourite people in general. Um, his band, The Coup, are just like the best. And if you have Twitter or Instagram, follow him. He is the best follow. Um, Sorry to bother you. It's just such a great movie. Um, 13th by Ava DuVernay, which I think is free on YouTube at the moment because it's a Netflix film, but I think they've put it up on their YouTube channel. Watch that movie. Or um, Moonlight, Barry Jenkins. I would also recommend um, If Beale Street. Barry Jenkins is such a genius. He is an absolute genius. One of the greatest... I mean, he's only made a few movies. One of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Mm. Moonlight is just a perfect film um, and if Bill Street could talk is also a wonderful film um, 12 Years a Slave Steve McQueen's film um, incredibly powerful the kind of film that got my parents to go see at the cinema I think most people have seen that movie it's great D. Reese's Pariah um, I think you would really like this movie but you should watch Pariah um, okay. it's a very you kind of movie it's very much you like films that very much focus on a specific person's experience um the coming-of-age story of a young black lesbian in America. It's really... It feels very um, legitimate seen, in its telling. It's great. I film. think I've seen a trailer for this, yeah. This looks really cool. It's a great movie. Um, she went on to do Mudbound, which I hadn't uh -huh. seen until recently, and it's that's a tremendously underseen movie because it's such a really good prestige film that looks so expensive, and it just flew so under the radar. It was oh. the first film to get a, nomina a female director of photography nominated for an oscar oh cool that's wild and that is pretty wild yeah mm. wow. like okay. i could name you like female director photographers that i love i'm like i can give you a well, list I mean, of people sorry just to go back to the whole discussion we had like in this episode right yeah so we got lewis weber like predates dw yeah. Griffith, and yet it took till 2017 for a director of photography um but i mean yeah, I mean, well, we get. Uh, Webber was was directing stuff, and I think she was in charge of some of the camera work. Wow, no, that's amazing. Only one woman has won Best Director. Wait, who's that? Catherine, really? Bi Catherine Bigelow. No, 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 wait, 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 that's not true. That is, is true. The Hurt Locker. She's the only one. She's the only one to have won Best Director. 
I thought that she was the maybe the first woman to be nominated wait, as well. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. You're right. Sorry. The I, only... thought, I thought that the piano also was a best director thing, Jane Campion. But like, no, no. They they don't even nominate them. They don't like. The Oscars suck, man. Oh, that's mad. Um, so, yeah, so um, Mindbound is... I think Mindbound's also really, really great. Um, unfortunately, she made a movie that I'm not going to mention that came out this year that's just terrible. Um, but Dee Reese's first two films are just excellent. Get Out is obviously one of the most important films of recent time. Um, mm-hmm. Killer of Sheep is a film that's really hard to find. Charles Burnett film from 1978, but is really brilliant. It's like you see so many kind of like neo-realist films about a community that are very like full of visual symbolism and it's that but is about the black experience it, it, it is such a wonderful film and is so underseen for reasons that make sense because it's hard to find um but it was steven soderbergh i think is the reason why we have that film now i think he contributed a lot of money to get it remade as in like reissued because it was not even on proper film print then they yep. also found out during that process that the soundtrack was never licensed Oh, right. So they had to spend $500,000 just licensing all the songs that were just used. Yeah. Which is great. He, he also uh, championed the re-release of Goodbye Uncle Tom, by the way. I, don't know I love Steven right Soderbergh. There. Steven Soderbergh is yeah. one of my all-time favorite directors. He is just inc- yeah. an incredible dude. Um, Hale County This Morning This Evening is a bit of a niche pick. It's a documentary for 2018 that reminds me a lot of Killer of Sheep, actually, though that's not a documentary. Um, it's this poetic thing it's just footage of a town that's just all sketched together in a way that becomes really profound of it will show you a scene of like a kid like a five-year-old running backwards and forwards and then it will cut straight to a basketball team sat in a locker room just bouncing a ball and you get this like shared idea of like this this energy within people or just it's so good at creating connections and evoking a town and a place and it is a Again, a film about the black experience, and it's just, it's great. Hale County this morning, this evening, was nominated for an Oscar. It lost out to Free Solo, which is great, but not as great. And finally, Belle, the Amarasante movie, Amarasante, sorry, which is really good in a way I didn't think it would be. Um, have you heard of this film? No. No, no, no. These, a lot of these are revelation um, This is, so from 2013, Amarasante's Belle, it's based on a painting. Um hmm. Someone, I don't know if it was Amrasante, um, I keep saying Asante, Asante, um, they found this painting where it had two young noblewomen and one of them was just black. And it is mm-hmm. from, I don't know the time period because I'm so bad at time periods. Um, ah, a, long, a long time 18th, ago. 18th century? Yeah, let's, 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 just, let's just say that. Um, okay. So they found this painting. They're like, how did this even happen? And they looked mm-hmm. into this story and there was a noblewoman a, a black noblewoman, um, Dido Elizabeth Bell. Um, Hang on a second. Do you mean like English or European? Because obviously there were like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's a very Eurocentric yeah, way, I, but yeah, yeah. Apologies, apologies. That's a very good call. Um, as in like English and part of the establishment. Yeah. Okay, and she, yeah, okay, uh, why it's even more revelatory is she was the adopted daughter of the Lord Chief Justice. Yeah. So basically... Wow who was actually his it was actually her uncle um yes maybe grandfather i forget but they are directly related basically Mm -hmm. her father um met a black woman who was a slave um and she became pregnant with their daughter 
and their daughter was then sent to be the legitimate uh, as legitimate as they could be at that estate and it's such a great film because it's a type of film I do not like it's this very staid period drama but most period dramas are so obsessed with pomp and circumstance Mm -hmm. and this film shows that pomp and circumstance were a barrier to people that she is blocked out of it and the reason it's so great is because it it uses the language of that genre perfectly it is speaking to that audience and because it speaks in their language it's so confronting to them and it's so powerful that if it was more of a filmmaker's film or more like contemporary feeling, it wouldn't be as powerful because right. it feels like the elephant in the room is her blackness the whole time. And mm-hmm. you just see that it shows the unfairness of her treatment so well by just being this like perfect period drama, exactly what you expect, but from one unexpected element and that emphasizes it so much. So yeah, really, really recommend it. Her second film, United Kingdom, also great. Um, did not see her third film when hands touch apparently it was controversial didn't see it never mind mm-hmm. um, so yeah 13 films that you should watch if you have not watched them if you have watched them rewatch them they're all great and then watch more and recommend things to me and just like you know at this point the more you can do to educate yourself about um, different people's experiences is really important yeah I think that's a nice note to end on yeah so don't watch. There you go. That's a lot of films you should watch instead of these two films. <laughs> you will learn more about cinema from those 13 films than you will from Birth of Nation. Yeah. I mean, that's also unfair because there's 13 films. But... <laughs> it is pretty long. Yeah. It is quite a long true, film. True. So you, can, you can watch two you of these. Probably time. Yeah. At least two. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for joining me. That was a, a lovely conversation. Um... And we'll talk about Spielberg and Kubrick in your future. Mm. Weird time stuff. So, goodbye. Bye.